0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this new and final ANO podcast on our AML-CTF series. So continuing and closing on our series of podcasts, we'll now dwell on somewhat newcomer in the AML-CTF framework, FinTech. Fintech has been a particularly hot topic for the last four to five years and has finally caught the attention of national and EU legislators and regulators who are now trying to assess how to best approach the regulation of this relatively new industry. The AML directives were some of the first EU legislative acts to take fintech evolutions into account, first with the inclusion of pioneer fintech services such as e-money issuance and electronic payment services, but it didn't stop there and until recently for instance crypto assets crypto exchanges and uh, related wallet services were completely off the aml ctf radar and AMLD d5 has somehow reshuffled the cards in that regard and in fact the recent AMLD d5 implementation into luxembourg Loo now clearly scope in crypto asset service providers and fintech tools such as uh, technology-based products and services now Carol, uh, we've heard that while implementing AMLD-5, the Luxembourg legislator has gone beyond the text of the directive in terms of crypto asset professionals falling within the scope of the AML Act 2004. Could you tell us a bit more about this? Uh, is this right? And if so, to, to which extent does Luxembourg go beyond EU requirements?
1: Thank you, Baptiste. You are perfectly right. So as we mentioned during our first podcast, Luxembourg has not strictly implemented the provisions of the fifth anti-money laundering directive, but has also taken into consideration the FATF recommendation, and that's particularly true for fintech-related activities and tools. So if we just take maybe a few minutes to take a a step back, under the fourth anti-money laundering directive, As you said, crypto assets were out of scope of the AML regime. Under the fifth anti-money laundering directive, custodian wallet providers and crypto fiat exchanges become new obliged entities like more traditional professionals like credit institutions or investment firms. In line with this change in the directive, in the IML Act 2004 in Luxembourg, we have introduced a concept of virtual currency, which is basically implemented in the same terms as in the directive. Just maybe one point in that respect, virtual currencies is a separate concept and should not be confused with the concept of electronic money or funds or monetary value stored in instruments, because virtual currencies can be used for broader application than mere means of payments. So that's basically where we have implemented the directive. But the ML Act 2004 goes beyond the provision of the fifth anti-money laundering directive by introducing a new concept, the concept of virtual assets. This is a concept which is defined, as I said before, in the FATF recommendation. It's basically a digital representation of value that can be exchanged digitally or transferred and used for payment or investment purposes. It includes a virtual currency, for instance, but it can be more than a mere virtual currency. In line with this, let's say, larger concept of virtual assets, certain professionals become obliged entities under the AML Act 2004, and it covers activities which are wider than those strictly contemplated under the fifth anti-money laundering directive. So we have two new categories of obliged entities, the providers of virtual asset services and the providers of safekeeping or administration services. So maybe a few words just for everybody to be clear on that. What is a provider of virtual asset services? It's an entity which provides in the name and on behalf of a client certain services which are listed in the ML Act 2004 could be like, for instance, exchange services between virtual assets and fiat currencies, exchange services between different types of virtual assets, transfer of virtual assets, or participation in the provision of financial services which are related to virtual assets, as well as safekeeping or administration of virtual assets. If you are merely providing administration and safekeeping services in relation to virtual assets, in this case, you can be only a provider of safekeeping or administration services. So basically, provider of virtual asset services, it's a wide scope in the sense that many services can be provided. When you are a provider of safekeeping or administration services, you provide more limited services. But as we said before, it goes beyond the strict concept of wallet custody services that was contemplated in the directive. So. As said, we have a larger scope for the activities covered, but in terms of process and obligations, basically we are in line with the directive. Under the fifth anti-money laundering directive, there is an obligation to have those new entity registered, and this obligation is just replicated in the AML Act. So in the AML Act, we have a procedure which is described with indication of the elements that should be filed with the Luxembourg regulator, the CSSF, to request a registration as a provider of virtual asset services. And in this context, I think it's important to note that the person in charge of the management of that provider or the beneficial owner will be subject to a specific scrutiny from the regulator and there are specific information to be provided so that the regulator can assess their
0: professional repute. Thank you very much, Carol. That's very clear. So if I understand correctly, crypto assets professionals are now treated pretty much at the same, well, they are actually treated at the same level as more conventional financial counterparts that were already covered by the AML-CTF framework. And and I believe this is simply due to the fact that their activities has been deemed, for, for good reasons, at least as significant as the other services that were already covered by the AML Act in Luxembourg. Exactly. Beyond this, I think, and and explaining the reason why those players are not covered by the scope of the ML Act, the constant and consistent objective of legislators and regulators is the avoidance of the use of the financial sector for improper purposes. And this most likely explains why not only fintech services must be covered by the aml um, the MLCTF framework, but also why stricter requirements are now imposed on fintech or technology-based activities and, and products. And I think recent legal amendments and regulatory guidance demonstrate this trend. So please, Carol, could, could you walk us through these few additional restrictive conditions bearing on fintech service providers in, in general and tell us how they work within the Luxembourg legal framework?
1: Of course. I guess your statement is more particularly relevant for e money issuance and payment services. So, those listening to us may recall that under the fourth anti money laundering directive, there was already a possibility for member states to exempt low risk e money products from certain CDD requirements. Basically, the fifth anti money laundering directive has restricted the circumstances in which this exemption may be used, and in particular, by lowering certain numerical thresholds. So just maybe to to remind everybody of the conditions and maybe stress the differences between the new and the previous regime, professionals that issue payment instruments are allowed not to apply certain due diligence measures if certain cumulative conditions are met. The first condition is to carry out on a prior basis an appropriate risk assessment that evidence that the risk level is effectively low in relation to the contemplated payment instrument. The second condition is that the payment instrument is either not reloadable or is subject to a maximum limit of €150 per month for the payment transaction, and the payment instrument should only be used in Luxembourg. Here, we have a threshold which is reduced to 150 euros, while it was before 250. The third condition is that the payment instruments should only store a maximum of 150 euros. Here again, it's reduced compared to the previous regime, which was before 250 euros. There are other conditions which have not been changed between the new regime and the previous one. Is the, it is the fact that the payment instrument can be used only exclusively for the purchase of goods of services, that it cannot be credited with anonymous electronic money, and, of course, that the issuer exercises sufficient control over the transaction or the business relationship to be in a position to detect unusual or suspicious transactions. Finally, there is a new condition which has been introduced in the AML Act 2004, it is that cash redemptions by using this payment instrument be limited to 50 euro while it was 100 euro before. And in case of distance payment transaction, or rather I would say, or in case of distance payment transaction within the meaning of the Payment Services Directive, the amount paid cannot exceed 50 euro per transactions. So we can see here that a lot of numerical thresholds have been reduced in relation to payment instruments issued by professionals. But it's not only in the, let's say, payment insurance field that changes have been introduced. It's also on the acquiring side of, let's say, the payment business that restrictions have been introduced. So a professional acting as an acquirer will also be subject to certain restrictions in that it can only accept payments made with anonymous prepaid card issued in third countries, that is, countries outside the EEA, where the cards which meet the requirements that have been described just before. So as we see, just more restrictive measures for e-money products. I, I'm sure people listening to us know that in Luxembourg, we do not only have rules on e-money products and online payment transactions in our IML Act 2004, but we also have rules, for instance, in the Grand Ducal Regulation of 1st February 2010. This Grand Ducal Regulation is in force and remains in force for the moment, but I can presume and one can presumably expect that this Grand Ducal Regulation should be amended in the future, at least for consistency reasons with the amendments that I have mentioned in the ML 2004. And maybe on a totally separate note, we mentioned in our previous podcast the fact that a circular has been issued by the regulator about the AML-CTF risk in the context of the COVID-19 pandemics. And as one of the areas which is more likely to, to be subject to vulnerabilities in this specific context, the CSSF identified online payment services. So I would say that particular focus will probably be put on this specific sector by the regulator in its supervisory practice. So whenever uh, you provide this type of services, be aware that Each professional active in this specific sector should put a particular emphasis on the monitoring of the transactions that are made in this field, just to address the increased risk in the pandemic context.
0: Thank you, Carol. This is actually an interesting point, this separate note that you, um, you just mentioned, because also, if I understand correctly, and knowing that fintech, can cover quite a broad range of services, so not only purely financial ones, but also what are sometimes called rec tech or legal techs. I'm wondering if the hope that has been placed in in those, I will call it generally fintech tools, to improve CDD processes is not therefore exaggerated because of the risk that it carries. Legislators and regulators seem to rather consider fintech as a source of increased AML-CTF risk and not really a, a conduit for improved processes. C- could you share some thoughts on this, uh, remark, Carol, please? I
1: would not totally agree with your statement. There are probably specific risks associated with fintech tools in the large sense, which are different from those entailed by standard tools, but they might not necessarily be higher if the professionals know how to master them. And interestingly, in the CSSF circular of April 2020 that I was mentioning before, the CSSF seems to have opened a door to the possibility of using more technology-based solution in the IML-CTF context. So it's true that in this circular, the CSSF details the risk entailed by the pandemic and also Note that in the pandemic context, more business relationship is carried out on a non-face-to-face basis and therefore invite professional as the case may be and to the extent necessary to adopt enhanced and measures. But at the same time, they have also mentioned the fact that the FATF issued uh, in March this year, guidance on digital identity. And the CSSF encourages professionals to use fintech to manage the CDD challenges which are triggered in the pandemic situation. They, of course, mentioned that you can use these tools or digital IT system, but provided you consider them as trustworthy and that you complied with the requirements under the MLCTF framework. They particularly noted the fact that they have already issued guidance on certain remote identification tools in their FAQs on video check identification. But I expect that in the future and in line of what is described in this FATF guidance, other tools would be acceptable. And this should be permitted already under the current framework because these requirements under AML Act 2004 They are generally technology neutral because, for instance, when we think about client identification, it's mentioned that you need to identify the clients on the basis of documents, but you could also identify your client on the basis of data or other information. And also because in RML Act 2004, there are already some provisions which provide for the possibility to rely on certain technologies. And it's particularly true in Article 3, which mentions that You can identify the client on basis of documents, data, or information, but also you can rely on certain electronic identification tools which are defined in the so-called EIDS regulation. So I would say the the legal framework is here to to open more possibilities. It's not only the tools which are described in the EIDS regulation that you could use, because the the legislation and the revised version of ML Act in Article 3 in particular mentioned that you could also rely on other secured identification processes, whether at electronic or distance, which are regulated, recognized, approved, or accepted by a national authority. So what does this mean? It means that the CSSF could provide and offer more possibilities based on the existing text of the legislation. So there are other possibilities. But at the same time, as I mentioned before, you can rely on digital systems only if they are sufficiently reliable. So it also means that maybe professionals will have to adopt here as well the risk-based approach and make a risk assessment on a possible tool, assess the risk they are exposed to in consideration of the specific business activities they want to use it, and decide whether they want to adopt this digital ID system if it's sufficiently reliable. We all know that in this context that we have in the CSF Regulation 1202 a requirement to obtain valid validated official identification document issued by a public authority when it comes to identifying a client. So I would expect that based on the new text and on the FATF guidance, they, they they could be changes to the to these rules. And at the same time, digital tools can also be useful not only to collect the document but also to assess reliability of the documents itself. So there are plenty of possibilities offered by FinTech. The text we have in Luxembourg leave some room for using these tools. And I would quote what has been said by the FATF, typically proof of official identity has been provided by government in a digital era. They could be of our models and potential partnership with the private sectors alongside the more traditional government-issued digital credentials. So I hope that in the future we will see more tools accepted or acceptable and technology, is not, it's not only about client onboarding, I would say, but it will be also useful professionals when it comes to monitoring the transaction performed by clients. With authentication tools, you can ensure that the person who is carrying out a transaction is effectively the person you have identified upon onboarding. And uh, if if we speak about the more recent initiative, I think there is a trend to go into the direction of digital onboarding tools. And also the European Parliament has issued uh, last month a document in which it urged the Commission to consider a harmonized EU framework in, in this
0: context. Many thanks, Carol, for, for these uh, very interesting thoughts, actually, that I will uh, keep in mind, and I'm sure our audience will do the same. And actually, before leaving our listeners uh, I would like to quickly summarize what I believe we we've learned in this podcast and I see two main takeaways first the fact that fintech services as a whole now form a clear area on the map of the AML-CTF framework and because of its very nature it requires certain specific measures that professionals providing those services must keep in mind and must take into account while developing their uh, internal policies procedures and carrying out all their uh, obligations in that framework and this is mainly due to the inherent risk borne by these activities But the same risk inherent to digital technology, however, should not be a barrier in the use of tools with the potential of actually strengthening the AML-CTF framework overall. In that regard, I understand from what you said, Carol, that if the associated risks, such as uh, risks of uh, cyber attacks, security breaches or impersonations, are adequately monitored and mitigated, The digitalization of CDD processes could actually benefit not only the professionals, but also their customers, notably through four, let's say, particularly uh, sectors of relevance. It will enable the minimization of the weaknesses deriving from human control measures and generate cost savings. And this human control error, we know that it's a major factor of risk. It may improve customer experience ease the ongoing monitoring of transaction and finally enable financial inclusion and i think these are very powerful let's say good side of these elements and on that we'll leave you to think about that we thank you for your time and the time you spend in listening us and we will see you during our next podcast